If you happen to be in need of a new t-shirt, hoodie, sticker, journal, or magnet, and want to help support this podcast, why not kill two birds with one stone and visit our official merch store? Check out the ever-growing selection of designs inspired by Japanese history at ahistoryofjapan.threadless.com. Thank you for your support. Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 3, Episode 16, The First Tenno. In 672, King Tenji died after sitting on the throne for 10 years. Before we detail the short but eventful reign of King Kobun, we need to step back just a little and introduce a central figure into the drama that is about to ensue. Back when he was still known as Crown Prince Naka, there was another family member who seemed to live in his shadow, his younger brother, Prince Oama. By most accounts, Oama was very similar to his big brother, ambitious, quick to anger, and visionary. During Tenji's time on the throne, Oama was made his heir and given the title of crown prince. This brings us to a somewhat thorny issue in ancient Japan, a lack of clear, concise guidelines for succession. If you've studied European monarchies or, alternatively, have played the Crusader Kings video games, you might be familiar with the term primogeniture. A royal system utilizing primogeniture automatically grants succession to the king's oldest eligible son. At least, it does on paper. While, yes, sometimes ambitious nobles would nonetheless prop up a younger son or an illegitimate child for their own purposes, primogeniture generally ensured smooth successions most of the time. Japan's system for deciding the next monarch was originally the job of the Confederation of Yamato clans, and later by appointment of crown prince by the monarch and the court ministers. The reigns of many Japanese monarchs before Tenji were cut short either by sudden illness or by Soga clan problem-solving, and, in the former situation, they might declare their successor on their deathbed. While Crown Prince Naka proved himself an able political leader after the Ishii incident, none of his many wives had produced a suitable heir. This is not to say that he didn't have sons, he had several. However, something that we haven't discussed yet, because frankly the subject makes me squeamish, is the inbreeding of the royal family. Part of how the court ministers determined legitimacy was through a child having parents who were both descended from the royal family. Usually this meant cousins, other times it meant half or even full siblings. While, yes, this absolutely presented a problem when too many royals over too many subsequent generations were too closely related, well, it was what it was. And while Tenji did indeed have an adult 24-year-old son at the time of his death, the boy's mother was ranked as an uneme, which meant that she was descended from regional nobility, 
in this case from Iga province, just to the north of Yamato. Thus, she certainly had no claim to any sort of royal ancestry, which, in the minds of the court ministers who made such decisions, made the boy ineligible to inherit the throne. Getting back to King Tenji's sibling, Crown Prince Oama, this little brother had at least one incident in his past which may have looked to the king like a red flag. Oama had been appointed as Crown Prince in 664, but in 668 he behaved very badly at a party by shoving his spear into floorboards near the king. This incident nearly escalated when the king drew his sword and charged at his brother, whose life was only preserved by the intervention of Nakatomi no Kamako, whom we know posthumously as Fujiwara no Kamatari. Olama may have simply had too much to drink and decided to play a funny-not-funny prank on his big brother, or he may have been expressing dissatisfaction with the fact that his brother had essentially run the entire state when he had formerly been crown prince during the reigns of King Kotoku and Queen Saime, while Oama was not given sufficiently high-ranking court appointments and was thus marginalized. King Tenji didn't trust his ambitious little brother, and part of the reason he took so many wives, he had at least nine, was to secure political alliance and discourage his sibling from seizing power the same way he himself had done decades before. In 671, the king appointed his son, Prince Otomo, to the post of Daijo Daijin, which is the equivalent of chancellor. This office was second in authority only to the monarch himself, and King Tenji's intentions couldn't be more clear that he intended his son to succeed him, not his brother. King Tenji died in 672, and things very quickly deteriorated between Otomo and Oama. It seems that most of the powers of Yamato united behind Otomo, which in previous generations probably would have been enough to ensure a secure succession. However, Prince Oama knew better than to rely on the ministers and chieftains who revered his late brother and wanted to honor his wishes. In short order, he fled to Mount Yoshino in the north of the capital of Otsu. Oama's stated purpose was to take orders as a monk and retire from political life, but instead he did something that seems fairly unprecedented. He sought assistance from regional clans outside of Yamato. In addition to the clans of the regions surrounding Yamato and Omi provinces, he also enlisted the help of the Aya and Hata clans, which is notable because these clans descended from Korean immigrants and were thus generally kept far from the halls of power. It's tempting to see Crown Prince Oama as a romantic hero who has gathered up an army of misfits to overturn an entrenched power structure, but this was not some high-minded endeavor meant to support enlightened ideals or rectify any objective injustice. This was a power struggle between two politicians who were each trying to find a way to win. Also notable about this conflict is the way in which Crown Prince Oama conducted himself once he had gathered his army. 
Not content to passively wait for ritualists to read the signs and bless his efforts, he undertook the divinations himself and made plans according to the signs he had interpreted. Whenever I've mentioned before now that the Japanese were importing Chinese culture via Buddhism, this is the sort of thing I've been referring to. Sorry I haven't spoken to it more directly before now, but up until this moment the divination practices by yin-yang specialists, Taoists, and feng shui scholars hasn't really been relevant in the way it's about to become. Prince Otomo, whom we are reasonably sure was by this point crowned as King Kobun, finally understood that his uncle was not planning to quietly become a monk and slip away into obscurity. And so he gathered his supporting army in his capital at Otsu in the province of Omi and prepared for war. Crown Prince Oama, meanwhile, sent messengers to Mino province in Chubu and convinced Governor Onohonji to support his cause. Onohonji agreed, and Oama traveled to Mino to stage the army, and they struck out toward Omi province. Ambush attacks from loyalist guerrillas greatly hindered their progress, and every delay meant more time for King Kobun to gather more support. However, the king was unable to summon troops east of Mino province because the only path through the area was blockaded by Oama's army. In the meantime, Kyushu and Chugoku sent no reply to his repeated requests for armed support, seemingly content to let the claimants fight it out and see who won. King Kobun was frustrated by this, but still managed to recruit troops from a few other regional governors in Kansai. The first few engagements seemed to unfold in the king's favor, but this good fortune did not last forever. Prince Oama was gaining strength and avoiding catastrophic losses while King Kobun's army was already maxed out. Eventually, things came to a head at the Battle of Seta Bridge, where Kobun's army suffered a crushing defeat, which left the capital vulnerable. Oama's army quickly seized it and searched for King Kobun, but he had fled to the nearby Mount Nagara, where he hanged himself. After a long, hard month, the Jinshin War, as it would later be known, had ended, and Crown Prince Oama had won. Oama ascended the throne and became known posthumously as Emperor Temmu. Yes, you heard correctly, Emperor. At long last, I can finally stop referring to the monarch of Japan as a king or queen and call them by the name which I think we are all more accustomed to. Before Temmu, monarchs were likely known by the title Great Sovereign of Yamato but he fashioned a new title similar to that of the Chinese Huangdi. In Japanese, this title consists of two symbols, Tian, which means sky, and Huang, which means sovereign. Put them together and it is pronounced Tenno, and the meaning is heavenly sovereign. So why the change? King Tenji, Emperor Temmu's brother, had introduced reforms to the government which were meant to gradually reshape the Daijo Daikan, that is, the Council of State, 
into a political entity similar to the courts of Baekje, Silla, Koguryo, and China. For years leading up to this, the various dynasties in China had treated Japan like a barbarian vassal state, and while this was usually just an annoyance which could be ignored, the recent conquests on the Korean peninsula seemed to have inspired enough terror in the conservative factions of Japan's state for them to consider monarch-centric reform a plain necessity. If they could organize like China and field large armies like China, then they wouldn't need to fear China. Once again, we encounter the process of sinicization, although this time it is not a matter of a conquering power trying to placate a local majority, but a nation adopting measures to improve its security and enrich its national character. Fear was not the only thing driving the adoption of Chinese culture, religion, and philosophy. A lot of the Sinophiles at court found things like Taoism, Yin-Yang, and Buddhism quite compelling. Emperor Temmu's conduct and reforms at court forever changed the way the Yamato monarchs conducted themselves thereafter. Leaning heavily into the adoption of Chinese culture while also modifying it where it needed to fit Japanese sensibilities, most historians believe that it was he who first linked the Yamato dynasty with the sun goddess Amaterasu. As part of his divinations and consecrations before setting out to battle his nephew, he prayed in the direction of the Ise shrine, and when he won the subsequent struggle, he dedicated one of his daughters to serve there as Saiyo, a sort of avatar for the sovereign who performed rituals at the Ise shrine in tandem with the monarch as they performed the same rituals in the capital. Following the example of nearly every upstart dynasty in Chinese history, he launched a massive construction project aimed at building for himself a new capital based on the principles of feng shui geomancy and yin-yang. The origins of yin-yang philosophy date to at least the Shang dynasty of the 1200s BCE, on whose oracle bones we find traces of both halves being utilized as separate symbols. As they joined into one symbol, they came to represent what seems at first to be a very basic idea, that everything in the universe exists in balance with an opposite element. By the time this school of thought arrived on Japan, it was a complex philosophical system which had helped inform ideas like Taoism, Confucianism, and even Buddhism as well. Yin-Yang specialists were familiar with vast categorizations of everything from natural elements like wood and stone to abstract ideas like color and divinity. They would utilize this knowledge for things like choosing coronation days and even divining the deeper meaning behind portents. Such knowledge, of course, couldn't be trusted with just anyone. So, King Tenji had created a bureau of yin-yang and employed divination experts whom he could call upon to read signs like earthquakes, tsunamis, and great storms and advise the monarch accordingly. 
Emperor Tenmu continued this custom, as he did most things which were originally products of Tenji. In many ways, he was an extension of Tenji's vision for Japan, only bigger. Everything Tenji did, Tenmu did better. High on his list of things to reform and improve was the military. No doubt he was just as nervous as everyone else about a potential Tong invasion, for they did not seem to know until the early 700s that the friendly relationship between Tong and Silla had broken down into all-out warfare for control of the peninsula. Doubtless the emperor also wanted to secure his throne against any coup attempts like the kind he himself had organized against his nephew. By the time Emperor Tenmu's reign came to an end, political power in Japan had shifted toward the emperor and his ministers. We'll discuss the relevant transformation process in more detail in the next episode. But Japan could be described at this point as being on the path to a stable, centralized government that utilized a potent combination of in-vogue religious symbolism, which established legitimacy, and a taxation system that established the court's preferred relationship between subject and ruler. Emperor Temmu died in 686 and was succeeded by an equally influential sovereign, his wife, Empress Jito. In addition to being Emperor Temmu's highest-ranking wife, Chito Tenno was also the daughter of King Tenji, which would make her Temmu's niece as well as his wife. While this is obviously distasteful to us today, it worked well enough to secure her right to the throne, even if that appointment was meant to be temporary. This succession appears to have been somewhat irregular, especially considering that Temmu had a son, Crown Prince Kusakabe, who was certainly old enough to take the throne by 687 when his mother was enthroned instead. I'll give you a moment to guess the reason the empress became the Tenno instead of her son. If you guessed that there was a potential succession dispute, you guessed correctly. Just as the Nihon Shoki often recounts that female monarchs were crowned whenever there was a possibility of two equally eligible male claimants coming to blows, so Empress Jito had been crowned in an effort to keep the peace. The authors of the Chronicles, in fact, may have applied this pattern retroactively because of Jito's role in keeping the peace, and those queens of long ago may have been much more ambitious power players in their own right. Getting back to 686, the other potential claimant was Prince Otsu, who, like Crown Prince Kusakabe, was a son of Emperor Temmu. His mother, while lower ranked among Temmu's wives than Kusakabe's, was nonetheless also descended from King Tenji, just like Empress Jito. This meant that, to some chieftains and ministers serving at the court, he had just as good a claim to the chrysanthemum throne as Crown Prince Kusakabe. This was not entirely unforeseen. Seven years before his death, Emperor Temmu had called for an imperial family reunion of sorts at Yoshino Mountain and extracted an oath from all who came, including his wife Jito and one of Kusakabe's older brothers, 
that they would support the crown prince's succession when the time came. Thus, in 686, Prince Otsu was accused of treason and official charges drawn up against him by Empress Jito. He was forced to commit suicide, and the potential threat against Kusakabe was removed. It is widely believed that the evidence for these charges was pure fabrication, and that likely the Empress herself had a direct hand in guiding the course of events. There is a death poem ascribed to Prince Otsu, but held by some scholars to be a later work that was inspired by him. I'll read the English translation for you now. Today, taking my last sight of the mallards, crying on the pond of Iware, must I vanish into the clouds? Empress Jito's stated purpose in taking the throne was to keep it safe for Crown Prince Kusakabe's eventual ascension. In 689, however, the Crown Prince died at age 28. Thus the inheritance passed to one of Kusakabe's sons, Prince Karu. Being that he was only eight years old at the time, Empress Jito continued to reign ostensibly intending to pass the throne to her grandson when he was ready. Far from being a mere placeholder monarch, Jito Tenno zealously pursued many of the same policies as her husband before her, doing what she could to keep political power close to the throne through the use of religious symbolism and building projects. Emperor Temmu had already launched the construction of a brand new awe-inspiring capital with the help of yin-yang experts and feng shui specialists who selected just the right location. Construction began under his reign in 682, but it was Empress Jito who saw the project through to completion in 694 and relocated the court there. The new capital, remembered as Fujiwara-kyo, was still in the Asuka area, so it wasn't really too difficult of a move. In 697, Crown Prince Karu turned 15 and had thus come of age. What Empress Jito did next would mark two important milestones in Japanese history which would prove a model for later emperors for hundreds of years. First, she retired, an unheard-of event for sitting monarchs who generally either died while still in power or removed themselves for ritual purposes like Empress Kogyoku allegedly did, although hopefully you remember that she would return to office later as Empress Saime and rule until her death. That the Tenno could retire, thus receiving the title Daijo Tenno, which means retired emperor, would have large implications for future monarchs as well as the occasional scheming courtier. The second history-making maneuver she pulled off was that she didn't really retire. Confusing, I know, but bear with me. While her grandson, Crown Prince Karu, took the throne as Emperor Monmu and she became a Buddhist nun, she still conducted state affairs from behind the scenes. 
The term for what she became is cloistered tenno, and mark my words, she will not be the last. Empress Jito oversaw the implementation of the Taiho Codes, which solidified the imperial court's legitimacy and made permanent the reforms begun by King Tenji and enforced by Emperor Temmu. This resulted in a more permanent adoption of Confucianism by the court, as well as defined its ministers' precise spheres of authority. In 703, she died. And in 707, Emperor Mommu passed away as well at the age of 26, only two years younger than his father when he had died. It's tempting when the powerful die at young ages to ascribe these deaths as poisonings or other such unrecorded assassinations, but the level of inbreeding by which they were conceived explains well enough why they seem to succumb to death at such early ages. I promise this particular issue will eventually be resolved in the imperial family, and I don't want you coming away from this podcast thinking that the current imperial family in Japan follows any such system of legitimacy through inbreeding. We'll get to them eventually. Sorry if this counts as a spoiler. When Emperor Mommu died, his mother ascended the throne in order to secure it on behalf of her grandson, who was Mommu's six-year-old son. Posthumously known as Empress Gemmei, she was similar to Jito in a number of other striking ways. Like the previous empress, she found her present surroundings too confining and ordered the building of a new capital more fitting for the imperial presence. The yin-yang specialists and the feng shui experts were only too happy to design an impressive and fitting capital for the Grand Tenno and her descendants. They built for her the city of Heijou-kyo in Nara, and she moved the court there in 710. And that is where we will stop in our narrative history, because the move to Heijou-kyo marks the end of the Asuka period and the beginning of the Nara period, which we will learn about next season. But wait, this is not the last episode of this season, only the moment we pause our narrative of events. Next time we'll explore the deeper political levels of the Taika reforms, as well as the Taiho codes, and learn more about the process by which Emperor Temmu and Empress Jito successfully elevated the Yamato court from a backwater petty chiefdom to a transcendent realm on par with the elegance and resplendence of their neighboring empires. Until then, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at A History of Japan, visit the online store ahistoryofjapan.threadless.com, and find us on the web ahistoryofjapan.com. 